As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Welcome to Isla Earth. His name is Paul Stamets, but you can call him the Mushroom Man. Stamets is a mycologist or mushroom expert. He lives on Washington State's Olympic Peninsula and has had a 30-year fascination with the lowly shroom, a passion that's unearthed some interesting facts. For example, he says mushrooms can clean oil spills, contaminated soil, and even nerve gas while remaining edible. Stamets teamed recently with scientists at the Patel Marine Science Laboratory in Sequin, Washington, on research to learn just how well mushrooms can clean up pollution. The secret, he says, is that some fungi release a smorgasbord of digestive enzymes whenever they find themselves in new soil. After determining which enzymes work best at breaking down that soil, the mushrooms mass-produce those enzymes. Stamets and his colleagues discovered this by growing oyster mushrooms on wood chips, then placing them on soil drenched with diesel. After six weeks, not only was the soil clean, it was covered with hundreds of pounds of oyster mushrooms. The mushrooms attracted insects, the insects attracted birds, the birds dropped seeds, and the diesel patch became a garden of life. Not bad, so it seems, to have fungus among us. Learn more at islaearth.org. Isla Earth is produced by the Catalina Island Conservancy through its Fund for a Sustainable Planet, because Earth is an island. The Mortgage Voice is Jeff Barton, your mortgage advocate here on KCAA. Jeff informs you of the ever-changing mortgage industry. Mortgage loans can be confusing and overwhelming, but Jeff and his guests will help you understand the difference in various loans and help you own or keep your home. Trust is the major issue here, right? If someone doesn't trust you with their most intimate financial details and secrets, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to do a loan. Tune into The Mortgage Voice every Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday at noon here on KCAA. 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. KCAA Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Brother Mike Calhoun.
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, you were probably thinking, how is he going to make Mark work? There's no birth narrative in Mark, you know. Well, you got to go to another gospel. You have to go to the go- another whole other gospel. And in the Gospel of Luke uh, this morning, we're going to be reading uh, about Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And the, I think the primary focus of this passage right here, one of the, of course, it's declaring the birth of our Savior. This is a phenomenal event. This is the crucial event for us as believers, as Christians, because our God, uh, who was transcendent of flesh, becomes flesh. That's what's happening. And you read in the Gospel of John and First and Second John, and these, that issue is one of the core issues of, of, that John um, uh, encapsulates there. I mean, he, he wraps his arms around this idea of uh, spirit becoming flesh. And, um, but I think also... Another aspect of what's happening in the ministry of Jesus and his, even in his, from his origins here in the flesh is the unlikeliness of our Savior, the unlikeliness. There's an, un, there's an unlikeliness to the gospel. There's something that, that doesn't fit the world. Jesus really doesn't fit the world, and he shouldn't. He doesn't fit for what the world, how the world is set up. Didn't come to the world in a usual way. Uh, didn't minister in a usual way. Doesn't save in a usual way he's completely different and that's why it's so hard for some people to come to him because it's not how you think it ought to be uh, to, to, to carry out and to uh, be performed it's according to God's plan and how it should be look in verse 1 here with me and let's stand together as we read chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 standing in honor of God's word this morning now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that a census be taken of all inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to meet him, with, who was engaged to him, and was with child. And while they were there, those days were completed, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in that same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Father, thank you for your word. Please bless its reading and its preaching this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, please be seated. So the likely Christmas scenario, what are some of the likely aspects? of the, Well, there's so many traditions we have. You know, um, a few Wednesday nights ago, I asked about what your favorite Christmas movie was, and we all had a lot of the same Christmas movies, uh, you know, Miracle on 42nd Street, things like that that were, were very common. You can go into most homes, not all homes, but most homes in America, and there's a traditional Christmas tree, there's a meal, Families make traveling plans. There's, there's things that are very likely going to happen, very traditional. And even in your own homes, you have your own traditions that you have built up, have, have built up around your own traditions. But can I tell you that the, at the birth of Christ and in celebrating Christmas, he was a very unlikely Savior. This was a, he, Jesus came on the scene as a very unlikely Savior. Um, and let's just play with that idea for just a moment. Think with me for just a moment of this unlikely stereotype. You know, historically during this census, and there were two recorded around the same 10-year period in here um, that historians wrestle back and forth, which one actually it was that was taking place here. But there was actual census that was taking place um, uh, at the beginning of our calendar, our Christian calendar that we keep. And have you ever thought about why 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thousand years ago. No telecommunications, no mass printing. Um, no, uh, no effective means of communication that we would understand them today. We would not have chose that as a particular time for the Savior to be born. Now, I know in our traditional thinking about Christmas, we can't imagine him being born any other time but, but that time. But if we had planned this and man had planned this out, it would have happened around now of where mass communication flies across the planet. You can, somebody here could pick up their phone, and if you've got international calling, could call someone on the opposite side of the planet. And it would bounce off of satellites, and you could talk to somebody. You could witness to somebody. That would seem more of a likely time for this Jesus to appear on the scene. But that's not when it happened. It happened 2,000 years ago. Um, We think about the sophistication of the society. There was not a sophisticated society. Uh, That part of the world was still very tribal, and it was still very regional, um, still very primitive. The social structures, we think of the... Muslims being very uh, 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 conservative in their thinking to the point of, you know, um, uh, lunacy. But I'll tell you that it was, it was so, there was great worry for Mary that when she became pregnant, you know, she could have lost her life. She could have been stoned for becoming pregnant outside of uh, the bonds of marriage. So in a historical sense, when we think about it from sophistication or even in the social strata, we think about the culture and the technology it seems like a very odd time, and yet it was God's timing. It was God's perfect timing. He knew right when this child should be born, and it wasn't carried through telecommunications. It wasn't carried through printed press. Do you know how the gospel was carried in those early days? Down the Roman road, and that Roman, that Pax Romana, there was a Roman peace that existed at this time. Historians are are very uh, fond of this period of history because Rome, for all of its... Um, bad attributes also had provided a Roman peace that allowed peace, that allowed communication such as it was, verbal communication to go forward. So God in his wisdom allowed this event called this event, allowed this event to take place at a particular time when the gospel could not go forward in any other capacity other than one person to another person to another person and oh my have we lost that. The Lord did know what he was doing didn't he? In those earliest of days, you had to tell somebody. There was no other way for it to be. There was no other way for it to be communicated. It had to be told orally. The, the gospel had to be shared orally, and so it was. It happened in an unlikely time, and yet God's timing was perfect for the gospel. And if I might just make one application, after trying to create, you have to almost build this straw man, and in, in, that it's impractical. You know, man, I would make an application is that the gospel, and not just at Christmas, but the gospel, uh, although it seems like an unlikely time, is often at the perfect time, okay? So in our first point this morning, as we're sharing on the the Christmas story, the gospel story, um, you may have a family member. You may be going through something in your life, and it seems like an unlikely time the church is the answer. Well, I got news for you. Church is not the answer. Well, it seems like an unlikely time that uh, maybe somebody needs your... You have a loved one, and they need to talk to the pastor. Listen, the pastor is not the answer. It may seem like an unlikely time that the gospel would intrude into your life because you and your husband are having troubles in your marriage, and, and maybe if they could just get the right Bible study. Listen, it's not a Bible study. 
It's the same then, it's the same now as it was then, and his name is Jesus. The answer is, is Jesus Christ and the relationship with him, developing that relationship. And just as Jesus broke forth uh, in, in human history on the scene, that's probably what needs to happen. That's very probably what needs to happen in a lot of lives in America today. Jesus needs to break forth on the scene, even though it seems like an unlikely time. It's a perfect time. It's a perfect time. And so whoever, whatever you're wrestling with or your loved one's wrestling with and you wonder if it's the right timing. I got a little note myself, to myself here. Slow down because this is a very exciting thing. Remember, it's always the right time for Jesus. For you to pray for someone, try to present someone as Jesus was presented to us in the flesh. Look at the unlikely characters in verse, verses 4 here. It said, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city to Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, they're just engaged, they're betrothed, it says in that King James, and was with child, and was with child, and while they were there, her days were completed, and she gave birth to her firstborn child. What unlikely characters. You know, the foretelling of the Messiah coming, breaking forth on the scene, this had been the great dream of the people of God, God's promised people, and bless their hearts, God's promised people or some of them are still waiting I happen to believe there are a lot of Jews who believe that the Savior, the Messiah has come they do know that it's Jesus they may not, they might not vocally profess this but I have through the years begun to meet more and more Jews they believe Jesus was the Messiah they believe Jesus was Messiah but it's more of a culture they, they're tied to their culture but what unlikely characters would have been chosen first of all this Mary of no great prominence she was not a she was not a great person and not a person of parliament or kings or, or queens or somebody who was, you can find easily in a history book other than looking in scripture. And the best she was hoping for was to have children, to find a husband, have children, to remain honorable before Jehovah God, live out a normal life, and then die and go be with Jehovah. That would have been her great goal in life. And yet, in the midst of this young, unlikely woman's life, unlikely vulnerability, so vulnerable to the world at that time. Women without rights. God poured himself out into her life, called her, used her, and she would become just as a human, a normal human woman, the mother of the living God. What an unlikely character. And poor Joseph, he had some of the same similar interests, a carpenter, and he would have thought of having just a normal child, a normal son, find a wife, have children, have the lineage carried on, work his craft as a carpenter and, and he, he just wanted a normal life but we read in Matthew in 1 and 18 how God actually had to intervene into his life and say Joseph because he was thinking about putting her away privately it says in Matthew but God actually had to intervene into his life and, and speak to him and tell him that it was going to be alright and to go ahead and take this woman and to go ahead and to, and to be, be a father to this child and you shall call the child told Joseph you shall call the child Jesus spoke that to the father such an unlikely couple. This is a great point for us to remember about the gospel and the unlikely characters that it uses. One of my favorite verses in scripture comes out of uh, 1 Corinthians. And it's in a spot here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about human wisdom. And he gets to a certain place in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. But he said, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so just as it is written let him who boast boast in the Lord man this is our kind of savior I'm telling you he calls the unlikely he works in the unlikely life and even in the birth of his own son and the characters that he uses to bring them into the world um, it is not many noble not many wise and when we get to this time of the year there's something poignant about the fact how we, we see the people, suddenly we begin to see the people who are in desperate need. We see the homeless maybe a little bit clearer than we normally see them. We see the family that's struggling a little bit closer, maybe a little bit clearer. And, you know, 
our, our inclination is that, gee, everything should be perfect. We want the perfect, we want the perfect Christmas. This is going to mess up Christmas. This is going to hurt Christmas. Listen, this is exactly what Christmas is like. And if God in the next few weeks throws you a curveball and you begin to have problems, uh, any kind of problem, and you begin to wonder about this happening right around Christmas time, let me tell you something. That's exactly what Christmas is all about. It's a fallen, broken world, people who are not mighty and people who are not proud and strong within themselves, but who are weak and who are in need of a Savior. That's what was going on right here. Not many wise are called, but he's called the base of the world. For you see, Jesus could have been born to anyone. He could have been born to a king. He could have been to a queen. He could have been born to some member of parliament, to some great position. But he chose a woman, and she was going to be born in a, this child was going to be born in a manger. How unlikely a character. We think about, for a moment, the uncom- not only the unlikely timing and the unlikely characters, but think about uh, the uncomfortable or the improper situation there. How Joseph had to make up his mind to go ahead and trust God and say, you know what, this is of God, I need to do this. How Joseph took his fiance and he went ahead and he disbetrothed his, he was faithful to her. How he took her and got her to a safe place and she gave birth. Joseph willing to marry her. Joseph tying up his hopes into something that was less a perfect situation. Something that would have been uncomfortable. How sad is that, you know, when you think about those two kids on the road trying to get to Bethlehem to register. And yet that's all the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. It's for those uncomfortable moments. Can I tell you, we ought to stop thinking about the perfect Christmas setting and start thinking about the uncomfortable things that are going on around us and let God minister to those uncomfortable situations. Amen? Like Jesus did with the woman at the well. Like Jesus did as he confronted the lepers who were ceremonially unclean and loved them anyway and healed them. How Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus. How Jesus' whole ministry was tied up to to working with those that nobody else wanted to work with. In fact, that's not a bad call. That we, we might pray in the coming year, God, we want everyone that nobody else wants. We want the broken, the, the rejected, the down and outers, those who everybody else has given up. We'll take those, Lord. And I'm going to tell you something, that's the Christmas story right there. Because Mary and Joseph were no one of any prominence at that particular time, and yet the King of Kings was born probably in an old lime, and, and laid in, in a, a limestone manger feeding trough. And that's where the Savior was. Such a humble beginning for such a great king. He's willing to deal with that which is uncomfortable. Uh, To me, the great encouragement here is don't ever write anybody off. Who are you just about to write off now in your life? You know, there's no hope for them. They failed too many times. You know, they're they're not going to make it. How many chances have we given them? Let me tell you something. Our God is a God of second chances. And he ministered those uncomfortable and improper situations. Look what it says in verse 7, because he also had this unlikely origin. I've already touched on this, but it says in verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. And that's that limestone manger I was talking about. It was probably a limestone manger. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no place for the king. If we'd have had our choice, it would have been a place of opulence. We as Christians, we'd have made sure it had been a palace, a, a Vatican, a, a St. Petersburg. It would have been someplace great. What would, you, what would we have held back for our king? If we had an earthly king here and we had him here in the flesh, what would we hold back from him? Nothing. And yet in his very beginnings, and as a lesson to us, where is his first place? Where is his place of origin? In a manger, in a stall, a place where animals were fed. I submit to you this morning that this is the hallmark of the Savior's ministry. It's the manger ministry. The preaching and the discipleship and the, king, and the invitation itself and the sanctification processed on the way to the cross. It's, it's not like we would think that it would go. It's another way. God takes us down the humble road. He doesn't take you to the strong and the mighty and the knowledgeable. It's not the high-powered uh, psychologist or pastor or preacher. It's, it's a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. And in the humble, small beginnings come great things. That's discipleship right there. That's a manger ministry. How sad that there was no room for him in the end. 
I submit to you again this morning that, th that that's a lot of what America's doing today. They're not making room for him. And, and yea, even in the Christian family today, we're struggling to make room for the Savior who of humble origins wants to change your life. This is what the gospel is all about, manger ministries. What's the invitation like? Listen, the invitation, the invitation is come to come to Christ. It's not to come to Pruitt. It's not to be saved or be, have, put your hand in the hand of Brother Mike. That's not what the ministry is about. It's put your hand in, in, the man, in the hand of a man named Jesus. It's not to follow and become prominent and to see how many we can stand or how many wins we can get. It's to submit ourselves and to die to self daily. The disciples struggled with this regularly. They were thinking of an earthly kingdom. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. He said, no, you're going to die. Remember, that was last week's lesson. You pick up your cross and you follow him. It's a process of discipleship. And all of Jesus preaches, all of Jesus preaching, and all of Jesus' preaching, all he ever offered us was a cross. And to pick that cross up and follow him. I tell you, that's what Christmas is all about. It's reminding us to pick up our cross and to follow him. For others will make no room. He will make room for him in our lives. There's also an unlikely audience. Who was it that this Jesus was presented to? It says in verse 8, in that same region there were some shepherds and they were staying out in fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were terribly frightened. Now this is a fantastic passage of scripture. Do you notice how in the, do you notice how in the, the science fiction movies whenever there's a visitation from another planet, it's always the presidents and it's the United Nations and it's kings and prime ministers and the smartest people on the earth, the scientists. They're the ones who are going to meet this new contact. Well, not in the Gospels. In the Gospels, when the creator of the entire universe shows up in the flesh, who does he present them to first? Shepherds. Those were the lowliest of the low. If you were to go back to that, if you were to be transported back in that time and you were to look at the basis, most simple people that there were, it was the shepherds. They lived the simplest lives. They lived out on the, on, out on the hills, and they took care of sheep. They had the least amount of wealth. I mean, there was no 401Ks that they were stocking up for themselves. They were the simplest of the simplest, and that is who the message came to first, simple shepherds on the hill. The, the announcement of the king of kings and the holy angel, the holy message comes to them first. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them. And then along with that, a holy host in verse 10. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Which will be for all people. Not to Caesar, not to Pilate, not to Herod, not to any of the other world leaders that existed at that time, but to simple shepherds whose names are not recorded in the scripture, only that they were shepherds. Stay, staying out by their flocks at night. The good news of the gospel. So don't be surprised that God is, 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 has spoken to you and is still speaking to you and is wanting to speak and is wanting to continue to speak to a lost and dying world that needs a king. Remember how Jesus said how, the, how, how not many wise, not many mighty are saved, not many. It's hard, it's hard to get through them. For the person who has everything, for the person who has wealth beyond imagination, has power beyond imagination, that person is hard to lead to the Lord. That's hard. But you show me the down and out. You show me the family that's struggling. Some people say, I'm a wolf, but I'm not. I'm a shepherd. I'm telling you something. When I see somebody who's hurting, I take them the gospel. I don't take them myself. I don't, I don't even promote my church. I tell you what, I take them the, the man Jesus. And if they can just meet Jesus, the Jesus that I've met, he'll change their life forever. The angel said to them, do not be... Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. He's going to put him on a little mission trip. This will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And again, there's that humble origins of our Savior. And then suddenly, 
to enunciate what these angels, this angel has said, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace among men whom he is well pleased. The peace of earth had appeared, and the angels were singing his praises. And we'll see some scene like this someday in the future. My friends, you and I together, those of you who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is a time coming when an unlikely at an unlikely time, when an unlikely person for a lost and dying world in an impossible situation, and we will have a new beginning, and he will come gather us from the four corners of the earth, and we will be with him forever. That's the Christmas story, and this is the beginning of it. And as Brother Terry said a moment ago, it's not the ending, it's the beginning of something that is still going on right now. Now, I have a, a little bit of a boast here. But I want to ask you a question. Do you remember your first Christian, your first Christmas as a Christian? Now, a lot of you can't because you were saved at a very young age. You were raised by parents that raised you in church. You heard the gospel. So you don't remember not hearing the gospel story at Christmas. But I remember as a young man being saved about the age of 24. And the first Christmas at my father-in-law's house, at Brenda's mom and dad's house, We've been married about six years, and I remember laying on the floor and hearing the Christmas songs and looking up at the Christmas tree. And I was laying on my back in the living room and bawling my eyes out because now Silent Night meant something. Now Hark the Herald Angels Sing had a, no, a whole new picture. And I remember what it was as a lost man now having been saved. I knew what Christmas was really all about. But the great mystery to me was I met a lot of Christians through the years who forgot what Christmas was really all about. And I find myself trying to get back to that first Christmas when it was still fresh that my Jesus had come in the flesh, lived a sinless life for 33 years, died upon a cruel cross for me. I know it doesn't seem right hearing a cross message on, the, on a birthday, but let me tell you something. That's what his purpose was, to be born, to live a sinless life, minister for three years and then die upon a cruel cross. That's what Christmas is all about right there. And I want you to be intentional in these next couple of weeks. As your families meet, as you sit around the dinner table, you share that story. It's not a bad time. It's a great time. But tell them about what will make an incredible difference in their life. The most important difference, an eternal difference in their life. His name is Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the meaning of Christmas and what it does for us. Dear Lord, and, and Father, allow this story, Lord, which is a true story, the account of the birth of Christ. Father, we pray that you would allow it to settle down in our hearts and help us to be intentional in these next couple of weeks as Christmas approaches, the day we celebrate as Christmas approaches, dear Lord. And help us to be real and authentic and help us to know there's no bad time to share the gospel the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you. We ask you to bless us during this season in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Our question this morning is this. What makes a dynamic church. What makes a dynamic church? Is it location, location, location? Is it a great preacher? Is it a traditional music program or a contemporary music program or a blended music program? Is it great Sunday school, great Sunday school leaders and teachers and programs? Is it generous stewardship? What makes a dynamic church? Is it beautiful modern facilities? Or is it just sweet fellowship among the people? What really makes a dynamic church? Well, let me just say that a great location can help, but it's not necessary. The preacher's fame or education is not the answer. I can tell you that for sure. The music program of the churches are as varied as the names and places. I always find it interesting 
observing the names of different churches. I still love the little church out by Canton, Little Hope Baptist Church. And there are as many new beginning Baptist churches in the world as there are first Baptist churches, I think. Starting over, in other words, a new beginning. Is it the music program? Is that what really does it? Think about it. Some churches have a pipe organs, and we get to go every once in a while over to Green Acres for their 4th of July presentation. They'll have a 100-voice choir or 100-plus voice choir over there. And it's, and it's gorgeous, and it's wonderful. But what about it? Is, it? is that what's required? What about the little church out in the country that has an upright piano and a volunteer song leader? What about the bluegrass gospel music? I, I love it. I, I love bluegrass gospel, but that doesn't mean that I don't love all the other music too. I love the old hymns because the old hymns are important to us. They teach us about the Word of God. They teach us about doctrine. It might be a church with a four-piece string band. I've attended some of those. Or maybe a 40-piece orchestra, and I've been to some of those. Or there could be a hundred other variations as far as music is concerned. And listen, is that what makes a dynamic church? I'm going to say no, it's not. Great Sunday school, generous stewardship, great facilities, all of those things can help. They can assist. Sweet fellowship, of course, is important. It's valuable. But that's not what makes a dynamic church. In fact, this church, I'm going to give you a history lesson. This church was organized under a tree in 1896. Under a tree, okay? Later, there was a brush arbor and an outhouse. Amen to the outhouse. The only instruments were the guitar or fiddle that were brought from home once in a while. They only had a halftime preacher. That meant he was here every other Sunday. But the Methodist church had a preacher on the opposite Sunday, so everybody went to church together. You either at the Baptist church or at the Methodist church, Sunday after Sunday. And that preacher was paid in homegrown vegetables and an occasional chicken. I hope we don't go back to that because not many of you have chickens or homegrown vegetables, right? The congregation stood or sat on hard homemade benches or maybe a stump or maybe a blanket that you brought from home. Unlike it is here, it was hot in summer and cold in the winter. Some of y'all complain about it being cold in the summer here. They were baptized in the pond right across the road most of the time. But it was, folks, and remains a dynamic church. Now, I know that there's maybe not a lot of people that stop to think about Pruitt Baptist Church being a dynamic church, but I want you to know it's a dynamic church. This is a dynamic church that you are a part of. And we're going to talk about what characterizes a dynamic church. And in doing so, we need to also realize that we need to protect and guard those characteristics. We need to do all, do all that we can to be sure that it continues on. I know that there's a lot of people think that uh, the only dynamic churches are the mega churches, the, the Preston World, Prestonwood Church, either way, or the Green Acres Baptist Church or some of the other big churches, they're not the only dynamic churches. Listen, like I said, it can be a little bitty church out in the country and be a dynamic church. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 4 and just a couple of verses, beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but, uh, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want you to notice some things about this church. This was the first church of Jerusalem. On the day it was organized, notice what happened. That's found over in chapter 2, over in chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen, 
that's the day it was organized. I want to tell you the first church in Jerusalem, first church of the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem was a dynamic church on the day it was organized. In verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it was a dynamic church. And then Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. There were like 15,000 who were saved and baptized in the initial days of this dynamic church, the first church, first Christian church of the city of Jerusalem. I believe all would agree that it was a dynamic church. But I want you to notice what we're going to discover makes for that church to be the way it is, to be a dynamic church. It's there in those verses that we read earlier. The first thing, the first characteristic of a dynamic church is unity. It's unity. We read it in verse 32, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Folks, the value of unity in the body of Christ can never be overstressed. How important it is for us to be unified. We need to be of one heart. We need to be of one soul. We need to be of one mind. We need to have the same goals in mind for all of the people of the church. This church was born in unity. They all continued with one accord. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts 2, 1 says they were all with one accord in one place in Acts 2. 432, as we read, the multitude were of one heart and of one soul. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, 5, We being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Listen, folks, I want you to know we're together in this. If you're not together with us, then let's talk to you about being saved so that we can be together in this. We're not to be out there destroying one another. We're to be out there helping one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all seek the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He says we're to be together in this matter of serving the Lord. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are one body made up of many members. We are joined together for the purpose of fulfilling the Lord's great commission in our little corner of the world. God has given us an assignment. Our responsibility is to win every lost person to Jesus that lives around us. Not my words, the words of the Lord. I remember in some of the old-time movies a long time ago, it showed slaves shackled to the oars down in the hull of a ship. At the voice of the taskmaster, they would all pull. Or they'd beat the drum and they'd all pull together. Now listen, it was critical that they all pulled together. They had to work together to keep the ship on course. One person... Not doing his responsibility. I think it's always interesting whenever we have a group come in to sing, you know, and they always want you to clap. I think it's always kind of funny that sometimes, sometimes when I clap, it's in between the time when everybody else claps. You ever notice that? You have to pull together. Otherwise, you get off course. And if you get off course, then you arrive at the wrong destination. Now, there's a neat lesson to be learned there because God has a destination for us. And I want you to know that He tells us that He's not coming back until everybody's had an opportunity to be saved. And so if we're not busy trying to help people understand their need to trust Christ, then we're not fulfilling our responsibility. We're not pulling at the right time. We're slaves to Christ, the Bible says. Pulling together in unity at His command is our responsibility in order for us to reach the desired destination. The first thing I want you to notice about this dynamic church was they were unified. The second thing I want you to notice is that they were unselfish. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They were unselfish. Now, would you not agree with me that as human beings, we are naturally 
selfish and self-centered. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, preacher, everybody else is, but I'm not. <laughs> right? I don't, don't. Yeah, y'all are, but I'm not. No one has to teach a child how to be possessive and selfish. It just comes naturally. One of the first words a child learns is the word mine. We've had the twins since Friday afternoon. It has been a joy, but just this morning I heard one of them say to the other, that's mine. In other words, get your hands off. Now, kids are that way naturally, and I want to tell you something. We grow up with that. Sometimes adults are no different. After all, if you work hard on a project at work, you don't want anybody else getting credit for that, do you? I deserve the credit for that. And sometimes it doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really matter just so long as the job gets done. If you've bought something and paid for it, you don't want to have to share it with somebody else, do you? I bought some fishing lures to take with me on my trip. I bought them to share. But I brought extra so that I can share, you see. If you have something planned and a friend needs your help, what do you do? Make an excuse, don't we? We sometimes make an excuse. Whenever I visit folks, you know, and I ask them and I invite them to come to church, and they inevitably they'll say, I'll try. Do you know what the words I'll try mean? I won't. I won't. I won't be there. It's, it's a word, it's a phrase of non-commitment. You know what? We are naturally selfish, but the child of God whose heart is right with God has the testimony of unselfishness. Unselfishness. You remember that famous verse in the third chapter of the book of John? Anybody remember that verse? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, the selfish thing for God to do was to save His own Son. And nobody would have blamed Him if He had done that. Nobody would have blamed Him. But that would have been the selfish thing. Rather, He looked at us unselfishly and because He loved us, He chose to allow His Son to go to the cross knowing that that was the only way that any of us could ever have forgiveness for our sins and eternal life. God's unselfish character is revealed for us so that we might understand the principle of God's love. He showed us His love unselfishly. This church was a dynamic church because it was unified, because it was unselfish, and because it was unreserved unreserved verse 31 said they spake the word of god with boldness verse 33 says with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the lord jesus folks here's the answer to our question the question from the beginning a dynamic church is one that is made up of believers who are unreserved when it comes to sharing their faith in christ listen we have a dynamic church because we have people who are willing to share Jesus. Because we have people who are willing to demonstrate their faith in God by the way they live their lives. Folks, being unreserved means being unafraid. Why should we be afraid? And yet I know that sometimes it happens to us. Why should we be afraid to share the greatest news, the greatest thing that has ever happened in our lives, you know? I mean, if I'm walking down the street out here and I don't think it's yours and I find a $10 bill, I'm going to say hallelujah. I'm going to let everybody know that I found a $10 bill. You know that? Because I don't think it belongs to anybody close by, right? Why is it that we can stand up and shout and testify about our favorite football team, about our favorite quarterback? Why is it we don't have problem wearing our t-shirt that says Van Vandals on it, but we have a hard time telling people about our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, everybody out there needs it, and we know they need it, so we've got to be willing to tell them we need a church that is unreserved. Our problem is that we don't like rejection. Well, preacher, what if I go to that person, they slam the door in my face? What if I 
go to that person and they reject me, they get mad at me, or they hurl some evil statement at me, or they pick on me as a result of it. What if that happens? Well, there's a word in the Bible for you. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's what Jesus said. Because of your faith, listen, you're not ever going to fit in. Verse 2, you're not supposed to fit in to the lifestyle of the world. You've been saved out of the world. Folks, we're not chosen to be loved by the world, but to love the world unreservedly and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Somebody comes to you and asks you if you're a Christian, you're supposed to say, yes, and I'm proud that I am. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Listen, if you're acting strange to somebody, they're going to wonder what's wrong with you and maybe ask you. So act strange. Peter says we're a peculiar people. Peculiar. We're supposed to be different. Paul encourages us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, we're to stand, we're to stand proudly, not arrogantly, but proudly, and we are to stand unreserved. The Bible tells us that when you're clothed in the armor of God and, in, and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, you can boldly stand against the enemy of God. But if you're wishy-washy, then the enemy might sometimes have his way with you. The great evangelist Charles G. Finney once said, since revival can never lay hold upon the world until it has first laid hold upon the church, the need is for the fountains of sin to be broken up in the church. Backslidden Christians must be brought to repentance. They must have their faith renewed before the world can be moved, we must renew the image of Jesus Christ in ourselves because it is vain even to call the church to love others when the church has ceased to love Jesus Christ. So what makes a dynamic church? I said we're a dynamic church. And we are. And I believe that. Because we are unified and because we are unselfish and because we are this is the hard one because we are unreserved when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just go be that. Just go be that. We need to commit ourselves to be committed to the task of proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you, Father, that you have preserved for us this word of the Lord that, Father, we might read and understand what it means for us to be the kind of church that you want us to be. Dear Father, I pray that if there's, if there's a problem with unity within the church, that, God, you might reveal it to us as individuals and help us to make our commitments to you and make our commitments to one another that we'll be unified. And, dear Father, I pray that you'll that you'll speak to our hearts today and help us to remember that it's natural for us to be selfish, but you want us to be unnatural. You want us to be a supernatural by being unselfish uh, because of the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray for courage. Dear Father, I pray that you'll help us to have the courage to take our stand, to represent Jesus and show to the world that Jesus transforms our lives. Help us to reveal it by the way we live, but Father, help us also to be faithful to speak the word of the Lord so that others might be saved. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now. I pray you'll save those who have not been saved, who have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith, and I pray, Father, that you'll call us to recommitment, to rededication, help us to be reclaimed, as Finney has said, 
help us to be renewed and refreshed and recommitted unto the tasks to which you've assigned us. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now and give us the courage and the faith to believe and to take our stand with Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. It may sound unbelievable, but scientists say they found a way to correlate the month you were born with your risk for contracting certain diseases. I was not expecting to find really anything at all about the relationship between the time of year that you're born and the diseases you might get, but then even more surprised when we could actually identify these new associations. Then, is the system used by local government to attract big business in need of a makeover? We'll hear from an economist who doesn't pull any punches. The average person needs to express to their local government complete disgust for the millions of dollars that are being wasted on attracting outside companies. Those two stories and more are ahead on this week's InfoTrack. Stay tuned. The show begins right after this. These days, it's more important than ever to look good. Yeah, especially for a small business and on social media. Everything has to look good, but professional design costs too much. And who has time to do it yourself? The answer is Creator 7. Creator 7 is easy-to-use software. It lets you create amazing logos, images, business cards, character mascots, you name it, all in minutes on PC or Mac. If it's that good, maybe I'll use Creator 7 and open my own design studio. You could actually do that with Creator 7. Yet it's so easy to use and saves you time and money. Hmm. Creator 7 software. Easy to use, amazing logos and designs, and it costs less than 40 bucks to own it forever? Where do I get Creator 7? That's easy. Just visit RadioShowLogo.com. 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 The holidays are supposed to be a happy time, a special time to enjoy with friends and family. But unfortunately, it's also a time people drink too much before they drive. Last year, during December alone, 781 people died in drunk driving crashes. Young adults were especially hard hit. In fact, drivers aged 18 to 34 were involved in the most fatal drunk driving crashes. So this season, do your part to keep the holidays happy. Plan ahead and don't drive drunk. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Mom! Honey! A little help here? In our house, we go through a lot of toilet paper. Honey! So we made the switch to new Charmin Super Mega Roll, their longest-lasting roll. Charmin Super Mega Roll is six regular rolls in one. And now, we can enjoy more goes and less woes. <sighs> Try the long-lasting new Charmin Super Mega Roll today and enjoy the go. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Did you know that if you were born in July or October, you have a higher risk of asthma? Or that November babies have a higher chance of ADHD? Surprising new research has identified connections between dozens of diseases and birth months. And InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here with a look. Roy? 
Thank you, Chris. Our guest is study author Dr. Nicholas Tantanetti. He's an assistant professor of biomedical informatics at Columbia University Medical Center and Columbia's Data Science Institute. Dr. Tantanetti, welcome to InfoTrack. Thanks for having me. So tell us, what exactly were you studying here regarding the connection between birth months and health? Well, what we were interested in is trying to identify if season or environment had a role in the diseases that we might develop over our lifetime. So if you're born in a certain time of year, does that affect ultimately what diseases you might have later in life? And was that a surprise that you did indeed find some links between birth months and certain diseases? Yes. Actually, over the last few decades, scientists have been studying in a one-by-one basis, looking at this disease or that disease and identifying some of these connections. For example, one of the most well-studied is the connection between asthma and the month that you're born in. If you're born during a time of year that has high amounts of dust mites, which are hot, muggy times of the year, then you're actually more likely to have asthma later in life. That was a finding that we were able to recapitulate in our analysis. But on top of that, we analyzed over 1,600 different diseases, and we found 55 that showed these 